0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with power and glory, with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking, pra- taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. A father and the Son, raising everlasting Spirit, who the ages run. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. These words of Jesus from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Keep awake. Watch. Be on guard. These admonitions of the Lord are arranged for this first Sunday of Advent to remind the church throughout the world that we are a people who are set to the task of waiting, watching, and staying awake. For what? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is perhaps one of the strangest teachings of the Catholic faith, perhaps second only to the resurrection, that of a literal return of Jesus Christ to raise the dead for judgment on the last day. The teaching, if I can be abundantly clear, is enshrined in the Apostles' Creed He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Holy Scripture instructs us that this day is unknown that it will come upon us like a thief in the night, and that anyone who says they know the day or the hour is lying, is a liar. And yet, this is not a judgment to be feared, but to be awaited with expectation, with patience, with joy even. The Christian waits for this judgment because it is not just the day for our redemption, and it is, but it is also a day when the whole world will be set to right. It is the day of consummation of the sum total of Christian hope when that which is hidden, when that which is mysterious, becomes known. When Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, I mean, I don't think anyone here wants to say heaven will no longer exist. What he's saying is that the divisions between heaven and earth will no longer be. To be even more explicit, this is the reason that Christians have traditionally worshipped facing east. Toward the rising sun. priest and people facing literally ad orientum. And I know that we're in Waco where those cardinal directions mean absolutely nothing. But, uh, and I guess it's a good reason that, that our church faces, faces something like southwest. Uh, because we can just call it east and it will be east. The church engages in the sacred liturgy in expectation of this day of the Lord's coming. That's the important part. And even though buildings like ours face southwest, what is not done literally is done spiritually, liturgically. The orientation of the church toward the coming of her Lord. In this expectation, the church does not sleep, does not rest. Indeed, she cannot because she is ever vigilant, always watchful, always living in expectation. Jesus calls us, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come." And obviously this does not mean never go to bed, never get rest, never go to sleep. It must mean something much more like keep your eyes open. Be on the lookout. Never fall into complacency. This is a message which the church today very much needs to hear. Complacency is the enemy of the Christian life of sanctification. It says, oh, everything's just fine the way it is. No need to advance, no need to get holier, no need for any of that. And Jesus is talking here about the spiritual deficit of complacency. When we fall asleep, those of us who have been made alive fall asleep before the judgment when we fall into patterns of spiritual congestion and negligence. I don't know when it was the last time that you went to Dallas-Fort Worth or Austin or Houston and got caught in traffic. Anyone lately? You last night, I think. It's miserable, is it not? And every time I wind up in one of those places, I think, this is why I live in Waco. (laughs) There there are a lot of reasons, but this is a big one because it's miserable. You're going nowhere, and yet you're on a road that's supposed to take you somewhere. Is that often not how the Christian life can seem to be? The church in North America has been marked by this congestion American evangelicalism has been marked by complacency and negligence in the midst of that congestion. To say nothing of mainline Protestantism and Roman Catholicism, which actually if you take the surveys at face value, is worse. A deficit of catechesis has meant that something of the urgency of the Gospel for repentance and holiness of life has been lost. No longer are Christians taught to await anything. You're told you're fine the way you are. Everything is good just as it is. We live in an era of avoiding delayed gratification at every turn. I mean, you order things from Amazon and you're almost disappointed when they don't get there the next day. Because two days is too long. Well, let me tell you, it's about to get shorter. Places like Dallas and Fort Worth and Austin, you can get a package that afternoon. It's coming. We live in an era of avoiding this delayed gratification. Instant gratification of our material, financial, and spiritual lusts is the order of the day. A friend of mine calls Instagram and Facebook the catechism of desire and instant gratification. The idea that the Christian life could involve anything that looks like the hard, deliberate work of the will, a work of discipline, a work of fasting, a work of self-denial, a work of staying awake even when you're tired, is immediately anathema. In the age of COVID-19, I'm convinced that much of the church in North America that in much of the church in North America, this spiritual congestion, neglect, and complacency has been fast-tracked. The church has a credibility crisis in many places. If corporate worship is worth sacrificing for, why has it been made so undeniably easy? And I say this as there are still churches in this town that are closed one of you shared with me that you had found yourself drawn to Christ church in the midst of the pandemic because you found the sacrifice of your health and safety to be worthwhile because of the benefit. Because of what was being asked. Because of the sacrifice that was being put before you. Something is being asked of you. And while we haven't done everything right, I remain personally gratified that we, have begun, that we began practicing ways of Christian discipleship that could endure to what much of the church has been an utter disaster. I mean, let me just be blunt about it. If the big show can't be put on on Sundays, then what's the point? That's not Christian liturgy. It's not Christian discipleship. Now, I don't say this to draw attention to Christ church or to give myself a pat on the back, only to say that the kind of widespread spiritual neglect and complacency which we planted Christ church to counteract has only been accelerated in these days. And thanks be to God, I'm seeing in our parish the opposite of apathy. I'm hearing more confessions during the pandemic than I have ever heard in my life as a priest. I'm seeing countless people committing to the daily office and to intentionality with regard to their own spiritual lives and to those of their families. The priests and lay spiritual directors have been busy. Am I right about this, Debbie? I think I've, we're busy. Like There's just so many people coming. Like So many people want to get their, their spiritual house in order. I'm so thankful for that. And I don't think it's premature to say that we're seeing something of a revival breaking out and not like the revivals that some of you used to go to when you were kids. It's a return to older, more substantial, more mature ways. But it is a revival in this clear respect. It is an awakening of the church of Jesus Christ to the deep and abiding mysteries which we hold. Among them, the life of the sacraments, the life of deep expectation of the life to come, the life of reading Holy Scripture, and of an abiding belief that Christian faithfulness is not just for church on Sundays, but for the home, for the workplace, and for the classroom. I say all of this on this particular morning because, we're give, because even given all of that, there is still a deep temptation to complacency. We think, Oh yeah, sure, I'd like to have a new awakening in my life. Oh sure, I'd love to have that down the road. But nothing is quite that bad as to require that yet. We are all too easily convinced that unless our failings are dramatic, we're doing just fine. But I want to read to you what a demon would write about this. What C.S. Lewis said screw tape, once wrote to his nephew Wormwood. The road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The truth is that we are lulled into complacency. Everything seems to be going just fine until it's not. And we can always look to our neighbor across the street and say, Oh, he's particularly awful so I must be doing fine. Or, oh, she's particularly snotty, so I'm just fine. Or, oh, this other student in my class is failing, so I'm doing just fine. After all, the professor grades on a curve. And some of you who are professors know don't trust in the curve. We can be comforted, and not in a good way, into believing that all is well. And that therefore, we can shut our eyes and take a nap. So if you are on this particular morning aware that your life is not where you desire it to be, if you have certain besetting sins that you want to be rid of, or certain habits that need to be gone, there is no time like the present spiritual direction, confession, regular communion, personal and family devotions, spiritual disciplines like fasting and almsgiving, all of these are the prescription. All of these are how the Christian stays awake instead of being lulled to sleep. You might alternatively say that while no habitual sins dog you, while by all accounts your life is going just fine, you've got more than enough money in the bank, you've got more than enough safety, more than enough security, your job's going well, Maybe you could even say that your life is going just as you always hoped it would, maybe even better. Let me say this there is room for more, and there is always more. I remember when I was a seminarian, uh, an 80 year old bishop gave a wonderful homily, and it was shortly before he would ultimately die. He knew that he was going to die. And he gave this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful short homily. And it was very simple. It was God is an unfathomable depth. And there's always more. That sticks with me. There's always more. Over the last few years, it's become clear to me That while in Advent we say much about the second coming of Jesus and as much about His first coming, we don't say nearly enough about how it is that Jesus Christ came and comes to you and to me as individual people to meet us over and over and over again. How it is that He pours abundant life upon those who are His own. It may be that you've lost something of that fire, something of that piety that you know you should possess, but which seems so far away these days, and that complacency has set in. Your disciplines have been lost. That fervor is gone. And I just want to say on this morning what that wonderful holy old bishop said, there's always more. Just as at the wedding feast at Cana, the Lord saves the best for last. We might feel sheepish about undertaking certain kinds of devotion, or even afraid of what will become of us, or afraid of what our neighbor will think. But beloved, what is the alternative? Falling asleep at the wheel? Falling asleep at the watch? Losing hold of the vigilance by by which we once walked. Living the spiritual life with no forward movement, with just spiritual congestion all day long. No. Holiness must be the aim and a constant appeal to the mercy and grace of the Lord must be undertaken. To those of you who 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 have persevered and been saved from complacency, there's a message for you too. And it is the very message of Jesus. It's this. Stay awake. Stay awake. There is nothing more important in this life than the pursuit of holiness. There is nothing more important than your desire to become a saint. There is nothing more important than the cultivation of an active and thriving interior life by which the Christian is constantly watchful always oriented towards the rising sun, ever looking towards the Lord's coming. When I was first uh, out of seminary, I worked for a priest who had been for his life prior to becoming a priest, a naval officer. And he had uh, been a a captain of uh, Navy ships uh, during Vietnam. And he would tell the story on Sundays like this that that when you start, when you launch a, a naval vessel, Immediately, a watch is begun on the ship. And watchkeeping becomes the obsession of all the members of the crew. And they have a saying among the crew and among, and in the Navy that eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Eternal vigilance is before you as a real option to which the Lord can call you and draw you and establish you. Keep awake. Watch. Be on guard. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.